Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Coming at you. Wine and Crime Coven, we have a couple of live shows coming up in Chicago on February 10th and 11th, 2023. Our show on Saturday, the 11th, at City Winery in Chicago is actually sold out already. You people are crazy. <laughs> yeah, you guys, it's sold out in like 36 hours. I feel like Mick Jagger is very exciting. It's incredible. But we added this second show, so if you still have time, grab a ticket for Friday, February 10th at Talia Hall in Chicago. Don't miss out. Uh, I think there are like 50 tickets left for that show, so scurry on over. Absolutely. The doors are at 7, the show starts at 8, so snag your tickets right now at wineandcrimepodcast.com under that events tab, and we will see you in Chicago. Chicago in February. What could be better? You are listening to Wine and Crime, the podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Oh, golly gee. And dance moves. Do a little and jig. unleash their most interpretive dance. <laughs> Step up to the streets. <laughs> the pod. <laughs> the podcast. My cousin was an extra and step up to the streets. I almost said that, but knew that you would. So I let yeah, you say it. I didn't have to. <laughs> He's had like a full career but since knew then. That you would. I know, but that's still your I, number one. I bring it up all the time. And he's like been a lead on like a CW show. Like yeah, he's, like he's like been all in I movies. Did was like walk around in the background of that set. Why yeah. are you so obsessed with <laughs> he's this? He's like a fleet. Why are you you so can like barely me? see Why him fleeting so extra. with me? Uh, <laughs> anyway, who are you? I'm proud. Um, I'm Kenyan. I'm sick. It's not COVID. I feel like death warmed over. It's fine. God bless. I'm Lucy, and I have that thing that lingers for months, so I, too, still feel like death warmed over. 2023 is going to be great. Yeah, I'm... we're getting it all out now, and then we're going to start 2023 feeling good. Because today, as we record, is New Year's Eve. It sure it is. It is. And all of us are figuring out how we can be in bed by nine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, eight. I feel quite well. So let's not jinx it. Yeah. I want to be in bed at 8 p.m. with a bowl of pasta. Yeah. That's how I want to end 2022. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. That sounds perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like lots of oil on my face. So much yeah, oil. And like my diffuser going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good lighting. And like some sort of stupid, mindless television show crooning mm. in the background as I drift away. With my galaxy light, my nebula. Yeah. yeah. I love that galaxy light you got. We got to go. I don't have much time yeah. to You're make right. my let's, pasta. Okay, great. Well, that said, let's that do this. That said, as we're preparing for New Year's Eve for the ball drop, we so have gross. a very <laughs> the ball drop. The ball drop. I hate that phrase. I always think of like puberty. It's disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh -huh. No, I'm just picturing what's his name? Not Ed McMahon. 
Uh-huh. Who's the guy that did the New Year's Eve party? For now a that you've said Anderson Cooper, before him, you know the guy Ryan Seacrest before him, the OG guy Johnny Carson. Oh my God, was New it ever? Year's I think it was Eve always Ed McMahon, and then everyone else. Dick yeah. Casey Kasem, Dick Clark. Oh, Dick, Dick Clark. Clark. Mm-hmm. I forgot he existed. Yeah. Anyway, that's the best kind of joke when you have to Google the name of the person you're referencing. Yeah, that's how you know it landed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ooh, okay. Good. So we have a very special gal's pick. Kenyon's <laughs> pick. I picked this. Forgot it's a good I picked pick. it. Again, you'll know mine when we get to it. <laughs> yeah. But I am a bit of a, a prepper myself. Yeah. <laughs> I've so, seen that uh, that. What do we call it? Pantry. I almost said cabinet of curiosities. <laughs> Pantry of yours. Yeah. It's, it's only gotten more robust. Oh, if the apocalypse is like coming, I'm going to your house. Yeah. That's, that would be smart. That would be brilliant. You'll have yeah. medicine for the rest of your life. Yep. I have everything you could need for like at least six months. You should just get a <laughs> prescription somehow for insulin and just start stockpiling it. Because unopened, it lasts a long time. Yeah. Don't you have to keep it in the fridge? Yeah, you can keep it in the fridge. But we could just get a little mini fridge. We can, uh, They also, you life pro tip. have power. Oh, yeah. Eh, not if I get, you know, my, not if I hook up some sort of bicycle <laughs> generator. <laughs> I do. Oh, God, this. Is, okay, I tried on a new sweater and it does not breathe and I am burning up. Hold on. Oh, no. Okay. Take it uh, off. John, don't cut this. <laughs> Kenyon undresses yes. to some extent. Every episode. Or just breasts yeah, are prevalent. Okay. There she is. Ooh, let them out. All right. Let those puppies out. Sorry. Okay. What was I saying? Oh, um, I totally want to get a generator. Like, yeah. I do not need one, but I want one. I'm actually you don't shocked need one until you, you need don't one. have one. Yeah. Right. Honestly, maybe during Lucy's segment, you should get on the internet and start doing some some yeah. shopping. Yeah. Well, during my segment, I have quite a grocery list for you as well. So this is, I feel like this is going to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You're really I'm... Kenya's going to spend five thousand dollars today. Yeah. Perfect, just what I need. <laughs> So uh, I don't know if we even fucking said it, but our right. topic is doomsday preppers. <laughs> Woo! Didn't even say it yet. We're fine. It's fine. We're Amanda. prepping for the end of this podcast, you guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we're not. <laughs> we have no other plans. So no, no, please keep listening. Not, we're we're ruined. Okay. <laughs> what is our wine crime pairing for doomsday preppers? I am very excited about my little uh, boozy corner today. First, I want to just let everyone know that I am not drinking today. It specifically and intentionally because this was my first day taking a new ADHD medication. And so I am not drinking or using any cannabis today because I want to make sure I can tell any and all effects good or bad from these meds so i'm personally just drinking plain plain sparkling water (laughs) but i really wanted to know more about the shelf life of alcohol and i was inspired to look into this because of this topic so i'm going to read a little bit of information i found from a website called binwise to clear up some cues with a's and then i do have a cocktail recommendation that i am going to give at the end of this with a great recipe that is super, super, super easy 
so that folks can still enjoy some libations yeah. while I do not. Nice. So the first main question, does liquor expire? Unopened liquor has an indefinite shelf life. So essentially that means no. Like if it's not open, it can last basically forever. If it's open, mm -hmm. liquor lasts about a year or two, depending on the booze, before it goes bad, meaning it starts losing its color and flavor. Mm. So liquor going bad is different from like cheese going bad. They recommend not using liquor for drinks if you won't use the whole bottle within two years. We don't have that problem. <laughs> but like expired, quote unquote, heavy quotes, liquor does not generally become toxic. Like it doesn't become it's unsafe just, to drink. It just gets kind of gross. Mm -hmm. Right. Wine, obviously different than different. liquor. I, yes. Yeah. I'm only talking about liquor specifically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Does the sugar content matter? Like if it's like a peach schnapps um, versus like Everclear? After it's open, yes. While it is sealed, no. Because we'll kind of get to it, but the only thing that contributes to the deterioration of it is oxidation. Oh, okay. So if it's not getting any oxidation, then it's, I mean, it might not like age well for fucking ever and ever and ever, mm -hmm. but it's not going to be like inedible mm -hmm. after, you know, if you age, if you want to age shops for 10 years, honey, in your bunker, <laughs> if you want to put schnapps in your bunker, there's actually putting liquor in your bunker is a really good move. And I will explain why in a few minutes here. We have mini so liquor bottles <laughs> in our tornado shelter yeah, kit. Got to. Nice. As always, this says use your common sense. If you see anything suspicious in your old liquor, like mold, floaters, like something in there that's not looking right, just toss it. Don't don't risk it. Checking to make sure your liquor has not expired is a valuable part of duties for like a bartender. Mm -hmm. So at opening and closing, they will check open bottles to make sure that they aren't cloudy or have impurities, mm. you know, stuff like that, just so that the next day... They're starting fresh. They're starting with good booze and they're not going to serve people nasty drinks. But like especially well liquor, which is at the highest risk of quote unquote expiring after like a year, that shit's not lasting at a bar more than like two days. So yeah, it's not really it's a, that big of a deal. Unless the bar has bigger problems. Exactly. <laughs> so why does liquor go bad? This is what makes liquor go bad. Like I said, there are three main factors that can affect the quality of liquor over time. Light, temperature, and air. Mm -hmm. Which also has to do with, like, the different colors of bottles of liquor that you'll get. So, like, mm -hmm. Bailey's, for example, Dark which bottle. is, like, it's always in a, like, matte black bottle because mm -hmm. it does, it's not, like, dairy, but it does have, like, it's like an Irish cream. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they do not want any light mm -hmm. getting in there to fuck with it because that will, you know, kind of fuck up. The like it's longevity. So it's good yeah. that on the bottom shelf of my bar, farther from the window, is where I keep like the clear bottles and the Kahlua and yeah, oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't want that in direct sunlight, not necessarily because of light exposure, because those bottles already take care of that for you, but because of heat. Mm -hmm. You don't want the bottles to heat up. So if they're sitting in the sun, like you don't want your bar at your house to be like in a big window or like near the fireplace or or near the or fireplace or near like, like over a register. A heating, yeah. A register or like a over radiator. a heating gate. Great. Or radiator. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's cool, dry place. This is like very, very key, which is why a bunker is such mm -hmm. a fucking awesome place to store your liquor. Do you guys so want to hear? Oh, sorry. 
No, no, go Jimmy, ahead. Jimmy, a really Interject. gross story. Obviously, Always. the whole <laughs> point of this show. That's I might have dumb, said this, this before. This entire show is a really gross story. <laughs> so my cousin Jen might be listening. Hi, Jen. She and I lived together for like a year and a half. But one of those summers was, oh, was it Kenyon when we went on our tri- our summer trip to Europe or something? I was gone like all summer. Hmm. And we had rented this apartment that she stayed in, but I didn't because I was gone. Um, and it was like half underground, basementy, mm-hmm. and um, we had a problem with. Do you know what silverfish are? Yes, yes. The, those like little roly poly fuckers, pincher ones that have like the big pinchers no! on the front, no! and they're really fast. Oh, oh my god! Gross. No, so I had like moved my shit in one item of which was a bottle of triple sec because I was really into making cosmos in my apartment at the time. Of course. Yeah, yeah duh. We were at that age. Yes. Yep. Being underage. Yep. <laughs> we were 19. It had a like a bartender's spout, like one of the mm-hmm. metal silver mm-hmm. metal ones that's really skinny. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't sealed. Mm-hmm. It had a little opening. Mm-hmm. I got back from my trip and we were going to move out because the bug problem and the mold was so bad in this basement apartment. And I went and was packing up my shit. The whole bottle, which was about a third full with triple sec when I left, hundreds of silverfish were in the bottle. They had crawled up through it because it was like sweet or whatever. Mm-mm. It was Mm-mm. the grossest fucking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> yes, yeah, those those poorer spout things are not the same as a wine bottle stopper. No, and they are not for storage. Lid. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, like <laughs> nobody needs those in their house. The only reason I have ever had those is because I stole bottles from bars that closed that I was working at, I'm and they sure had the stoppers had in them. Yeah, <laughs> like don't fucking use those spout things at home. You don't fucking need it. They're, they are for a controlled pour in a bar setting where you're pouring drinks quickly and you don't want to like over serve your guests. We have like an guests. aerator pourer thing That's for, fine. Wine for wine at home. But you have Absolutely. to remember to take it out at night. Well, I was a really cool 20-year-old who had you barware. So cool. Mm-hmm. So, cool. Mm-hmm. so when liquor is exposed to daylight over a long period of time, it can lose color. And for liquor, color changes are indicative of flavor changes. Similarly to that, temperature changes can degrade an organic molecule called a terpene, quote unquote, which alters the liquor's flavor. So light and air and temperature and silverfish and silverfish will fuck up the flavor of your booze. So air Mm. exposure over long periods of time leads to oxidation of liquor and that will affect the flavor. It will make it gross. That said, if you store hard liquor at moderate temperatures away from direct light, it lasts indefinitely. Mm-hmm. At 30 to 40% like ABV, liquor is not a hospitable environment for bacteria. So that's why the concern isn't toxicity. It's just about, it's going to taste Flavor. gross. Ishiness. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. If it's not opened, you will deal with basically no oxidation at all. Once you open a liquor bottle, oxidation immediately begins. That also includes wine. So like part of the reason why some people... Like some wines are so good after you let them breathe, quote unquote, for a while. It's because it started the oxidation process, but decanting only does a little bit of that oxidation. You're drinking it in that sitting. It's not oxidizing for days, weeks, months on end. So it just affects the flavor enough to improve it before it's going to go bad. Yeah. Yep. So that's why most- 
Exactly. That's why most hard liquors will, quote, go bad within a year or two after opening. But again, when we say bad, we don't mean they grow mold, become toxic, or coagulate. What we mean is that the amount of oxidation degrades the flavor and quality to such a degree that you may as well not bother drinking it. Mm -hmm. But you can if you want. It's not going to kill you. Mm -hmm. So now we have all that information. We could store our liquor properly in our bunker. And I recommend enjoying this episode today with the Kentucky Monthly's Doomsday Cocktail. Oh, my God. <laughs> I you subscribe to Kentucky Monthly. What? I Ooh, it should. It looks good, too. You should. It's a, it's a good little, uh, from what I saw online, it's a fun little publication. Yeah. So the ingredients are two ounces of rum, three-fourths of an ounce of lime juice, one ounce of simple syrup, which is very easy to make. It's literally sugar and water. A half ounce of fernet, which is not usually a go-to for me. <laughs> no. But I think it'll balance out the rum and also you have the lime. Like? It's kind of like a ha, it's kind of like an herbaceous dark liqueur. It's like anisy. Anise. Oh. Yeah, anise. Yeah. It's it's okay. kinda like So I would leave that out. Yeah. Not my yeah, favorite. Yeah. Or no. it's you only would a half not ounce. Like it. You also use fresh mint in this, so that's going to balance any of the, like, bitter herbal notes of the fernet. Mm -hmm. So you put mint leaves in a shaker with simple syrup. You muddle it until the mint is, like, aromatic. If you could smell it really mm. easily, then you know you've muddled it enough. You don't want to over-muddle any of your juice or your fruit or your um, herbs because they'll just turn to mush and it'll be really gross. Mm. So don't over-muddle. That's a big mistake. Mm. Then you put ice in your shaker, you add the rum, the lime juice, and the fernet, shake it up until the outside of the shaker is frosted, strain it into a low ball or like an up martini glass, and you're good. You can do it Fun. up or over ice. Love it. So good. It's very, uh, a not a mint julep. What are they mm, called? Yeah, yeah it is kind of like a yeah, mint julep. a little bit. It's like a mint julep, but oh. with rum, mm -hmm. basically. Rum and fernet. Yeah. It sounds yeah. really good, and it's totally on my list to try, which is why I want to share it, but alas. A mojito so anyway, is what I was trying to think yes, of. Yes, like a mojito. mojito. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. It's basically exactly a mojito without a sugared rim and adding fernet. And no, like, so good. soda water, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. So there you go, everybody. I hope that you try out this cocktail recipe, and please tag Wine and Crime in your pictures of it, because I bet it looks really cute. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I All can right. see it in a cute little derby glass. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Lucy, what is our background and hopefully psych for doomsday preppers? You know, I really don't have a lot of psych. Well, okay, I'll shake it just... For the cute noise. Cute. My favorite noise. Your favorite noise. Okay. Doomsday is a day of final judgment, a time of catastrophic destruction and death. Mm, in, luck. in the Christian religion, doomsday is the last day of the world on which God will judge everyone. Everyone. Mm. No one is safe. Mm. The theme of doomsday and apocalypse and Armageddon and the final judgment goes hand in hand with religion and can be taken quite literally by religious cults. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll get to it. Yeah, of course. They love picking dates. Mm-hmm. Cults <laughs> love a calendar. They love That's a calendar. That's another reason why Lucy has to watch Parks and Rec is for the reasonableists who yeah. are waiting for Zorp, and they go to- <laughs> They rent the park. <laughs> to rent like the park. every year, because they've, they've like, picked they the date. They the date wrong. 
for <laughs> the, for Doomsday. Yes. Yeah. So they like so rent the park, party. and then they're like, "Nope, <laughs> we got the date wrong." But we were recalculating, and Leslie's like, "Okay, just let me Zorp know what the day. surveyor will eat your face." <laughs> <laughs> we'll also get to getting the dates wrong. Yeah. Okay, so this is from shiftblog.com. Religious cults often incorporate an apocalyptic view of the future related to the promise of salvation through the belief in a divine entity. They often result in sects, sects, where only a limited number of adepts are accepted. So, like, you have to be... Septs or sects? Septs with a P. That's weird, because in my research, it all said sects with a C. I think they're different words. Yeah. I didn't know there was a difference. Sounds similar. Well, an adept is like someone who's qualified to get to that level. So you got to earn enough tickets to get to the level where you can be saved. It's essentially what. It's Mm. yeah. mm -hmm. And they are requested to bring on a specific proselytization. So the sociologist John Laughlin introduced for the first time the expression of doomsday back in 1966 while he was leading a study on some members affiliated with the Unification Church of the United States. And later he reported his analysis in a book called Doomsday Cult, a study of conversion, proselytization, proselytization, and maintenance of faith. I never know if I'm saying that word right. I feel like doomsday as a word has existed for a lot longer than that the 60s but maybe just grew in popularity connected to this specific area of study in the 60s yeah i think if it's like as like a sociological term Hmm. i don't fucking know it's from a blog i don't know okay (laughs) it's also important to note here that not all religious doomsdays mean the end of the world some of them just kind of mean a transition of eras So like I said, most Christians believe in Armageddon because it is mentioned in the book of Revelation in the New Testament of the Christian Bible. Within that group, we've got Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, and Branch Davidians. Ever Mm. heard of them? Mm -hmm. Indeed we have. They were big into the apocalypse. I was expecting. Mm -hmm. Way creepier. Christadelphians and Mormons. There are also themes of doomsdays in Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, a lot of Nordic traditions and others. The Mayans also have alleged, are alleged to have predicted that the world would end on December 21st, 2012, which is not exactly true. And it obviously didn't happen. Right. I don't know. We've been in kind of a fuck timeline, but. I mean, the world is obviously (laughs) going to cease to exist at some point. Yeah. So it doesn't surprise me that most organized religions or even just like schools of thought of whole like, societies yeah societal thought if you know would, that like everything dies it's like yes. the one constant then it makes yep. sense to like extrapolate from there mm-hmm. exactly so yeah. people are going to build ideations and like ideologies around this concept mm-hmm. that's just universally known and accepted mm-hmm. yes and like I said, it's not all about the death of something, the end of something. It's just like a new, uh, potentially a new cycle. Well, yeah, like the yeah. fucking, um, the Hale-Bopp cuties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were just going to leave their earthly vessel yeah. and mm-hmm. transition mm-hmm. to a heavenly to their, vessel. To their heavenly vessel. Well, that's basically the same fucking thing that Christians believe. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There are it's a rebirth, lot of- rebirth, baby. Common threads here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I forgot- about the guy in China who fully built an ark. 
to yeah. prepare for December 21st, 2012. Yeah. We will get to the Ark building. <laughs> yes. Oh, thank God. But not this guy. I don't know about this guy in China. My guy is in Canada. Okay. My guy also has an Ark, but it's not above ground. Neither's mine. Oh, my God. Did we do the same guy? No, my guy's Russian. Okay. Okay. You'll love it. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Um, also, we were in Mexico in Tulum on December 21st, 2012, and it was a fucking trip. Cool. There was like a big music festival down the beach, but all you could hear where we were was like the bass, like a rhythmic thudding. Ooh. Oh, so spooky. Cool. I, I cried a lot that day. I'm sure. <laughs> Somehow this it shocks so me zero fun. percent. I cried a lot that day. It was we amazing. Gotta get it out. I cried yeah. constantly. <laughs> okay, UFO religions often cite the end of the world slash the arrival of alien civilizations that will lead to a new reality. Heaven's mm-hmm. Gate, for example. There is some crossover of religion and politics that will incorporate that incorporate the end of the world, such as Jim Jones's People's Temple, which God. was religious and also a socialist communist situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's like, like religion. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, but that's like cult 101, like co- so- collective living, living off the yeah. land, rejecting capitalism, which are all things I love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not living off the land. Well, maybe not that. But like the slippery <laughs> slope from this whole like, look at this community. Yeah. We all support each other. To There's no money. Matching no- Nikes in bunk beds is. Yes. To poisoned Kool-Aid yeah. church service is that pipeline is too slippery. Yep. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Yep. Also, something that I didn't know about, the Knights Templar and the Masons even mm-hmm. have, like, some of those groups have really extreme apocalyptic beliefs. Mm. <laughs> that, <laughs> that shit is so weird to me. I don't, I don't like, don't get it. Mm-hmm. I want to get it. Like, the world is definitely going to end. Mankind is definitely going to end way sooner. Oh, yeah. But, like, raccoons the universe will, be running this will place. live on. You know, so like, there were just... We're just one little blue dot. There's a lot of other shit going on. Raccoons and fucking cockroaches are going to thrive. Go ham. Mm. They're going to love it. Ham. Love ham. Okay. (laughs) The expectation of the end of the present age, human history, or the world itself is called eschatology. There's a whole ology about it. Cool. Does uh, Allie Ward have an episode? I think she does. Probably. That's cool. Okay. She's amazing. I love her so much. Mm -hmm. Agreed. So at the... The word eschatology comes from Greek eschatos, meaning last, and logi, meaning the study of, the study of the last. (laughs) In a religious context, this belief is called apocalypticism. 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 (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with me today? I can't pronounce this This is not an easy word. You picked a lot of very tough words to try to pronounce well sick. I, mm. I will say. Yeah. They're yeah. not they're not coming they're out not of my throat right. very it's well. Okay. I like how even when all, none of us are in a space to be able to drink, we still sound fucking drunk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we don't know shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially when we're on half speed by accident. Oh, my <laughs> That's God. That's my favorite then thing. Kenyan on half speed sounds like she is ODing on heroin. It's unbelievable. <laughs> and I do not recommend the heroin, but I do recommend listening to us on half speed because it's very funny. It can be very funny. Mm. Okay. So apocalypticism. Nope. Apocalypticism. Next. 
There it is. Usually <laughs> also means that the end is imminent, like within your lifetime. Mm-hmm. Like get it straight. Shit's going down. My soon. guy came from a place of fear about impending nuclear disaster, which that makes sense. is actually pretty logical. Yeah, that's logical to me. Climate yeah. anxiety. Hi. That's yeah. also logical. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a fun fact for you. Doomsday preppers, or as they call themselves, survivalists, exist on a spectrum, but they are numerous. Kenya and I would call you a doomsday prepper. I'm I'm light <laughs> on the spectrum. I'm there. You're there. A January 2020 survey, January 2020, I thought that oh, was ironic. God. When the fuck was that? <laughs> found that 35% of the nearly 2,400 people surveyed said that they didn't need to buy supplies in the last year because they were already stocked up. Yeah, but then you're depleting your supplies. Mm-hmm. I think it was like, could you have lasted on your oh, stockpile in it. the last year? Oh, yes, I could have. Absolutely. It's estimated in 2013 that there were uh, 3.7 million preppers in the U.S., comprising a market potentially worth of billions of dollars. Damn. I could not survive, like, the loss of electricity or water, like potable water. Mm -hmm. But, like, then you're fucked. (laughs) The (laughs) supply chain stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, the runs You'll on toilet paper and stuff. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I have an amazing list of failed doomsday predictions. And this comes yes. from my boyfriend, Encyclopedia Britannica. It was a list of 10, but th- these five are my favorite. Uh-huh. Taiwanese religious leader Han Ming Chen established Chen Tao, or True Way, a religious movement that blended elements of Christianity, Buddhism, UFO conspiracy theories, and Taiwanese folk religion. All my favorite things in one religion. Great Sign cocktail. me the fuck up. Yep. Yeah. Chen preached that God would appear on US television, channel 18, on Which March Market. On my no, on March 25th, 1988. So maybe that was a national. Mm. Okay. To announce, so God would announce that he would descend to Earth the following week in a physical form identical to Chen. Oh, announced on television. Got how it. convenient. I just don't think that television is the medium that God would use, but I could be wrong. I don't, know God. I don't know God. I don't know her. height of television. Mm-hmm. I don't know her. I don't know her. <laughs> I don't know what she likes. I Yeah. The following year, Chen prophesied that millions of devil spirits together with massive flooding would result in a mass extinction of the human population Followers could be spared by buying their way aboard spaceships, which were disguised as clouds sent to rescue them. It's like that movie, that new movie. Amy Adams? Is it Nope? What's it called? Oh, yeah, Nope. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Weren't the alien spaceships disguised as clouds? I fell asleep. I was not a fan. They weren't disguised as clouds, but like could easily camouflage. Yes. The concept, you're close. Yeah. Yeah. You're circling the drain of that concept. Okay, Amanda, here's the one that you mentioned earlier. Halley's Comet. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Heaven's Gate. That's different. Halley's Halley's Comet. Heaven's Gate was the Hale-Bop people. You already mentioned Heaven's Gate. Yeah. Okay. Well, Halley's Comet, which is different, Mm -hmm. passes by Earth approximately every 76 years, but the nearness of its approach in 1910 created fear that it would destroy the planet either by a celestial collision or through the poisonous gases it was rumored to contain. Hmm. 
A worldwide panic ensued, stoked by the media and such newspaper headlines as, quote, Comet may kill all Earth life, says scientist. Okay. <laughs> oh, my God. A says some guy. <laughs> yeah. A group in Oklahoma tried to sacrifice a virgin to ward off impending doom. Oh, no. And bottled air became a hot commodity. <laughs> Amazing. So we've just always been stupid. Yeah. Yeah, we're fucking idiots. I love us. We always try to, like, capitalism our way out of things. Yeah. That's what we do. Which I realize is ironic coming from me bragging about how much I've stockpiled. Yeah. I right. do understand the hypocrisy. She <laughs> sees it, okay? We don't need an easy. Email. That's the first step. <laughs> uh, okay, so obviously none of that happened either. Religious leader William Miller began preaching in 1831 that the end of the world as we know it would occur with the second coming of Jesus Christ in 1843. He attracted as many as 100,000 followers who believed that they would be carried off to heaven when that date arrived. When the 14 or 1843 prediction failed to materialize, Miller recalculated and determined that the world would actually end in 1844. Find yourself a little more time, guy. This was like the months fly by, okay? Mm -hmm, I know. mm -hmm. This is my favorite thing. This is a quote from one of his followers named Henry Emmons. Quote, I waited all Tuesday and dear Jesus did not come. (laughs) I lay prostrate for two days without any pain, just sick with disappointment. Oh, my God. Why is that a direct quote from my grandmother? Yes. About, like, any of us. I waited all Tuesday, and Jesus never showed. I waited a whole day. I ruined my whole Tuesday waiting for the second coming. sick disappointment. So he waited all Tuesday, and then Wednesday and Thursday, he was just prone with disappointment. Well, at least he had the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. He bounced back by Friday. (laughs) That's rough. All right, I got two more. Beginning when she was 42 years old, Joanna Southcott reported hearing voices that predicted future events, including the crop failures and famines of 1799 and 1800. Big whoop. Mm. There were crop failures like every four years. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> she began Big publishing. Whoop. Big whoop. <laughs> they like barely had crop rotation. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, <laughs> so she began publishing her own books and eventually developed as many as 100,000 followers, believers. Wow. That's a lot. In 1813, she announced that in the following year, she would give birth to the second Messiah, whose arrival would would signal the last days of the earth. Despite being 64 years old herself, and as she told her doctors, a virgin. (laughs) All right. Well, she died before a baby could be born. Good for her. (laughs) All right. Last one. This is sad. Uh, Trigger warning, animal abuse. Oh, God. In 1806, a domesticated hen in Leeds, England, appeared to lay eggs inscribed with the message, Christ is coming. Great <gasps> numbers. the hen wrote in English. <laughs> <laughs> Great numbers of people reportedly visited the hen and began to despair the coming judgment day. It was soon discovered, however, that the eggs were not, in fact, prophetic messages, go fucking figure, but the work of their owner, who had been writing on the eggs in corrosive ink, and then reinserting them into the hen. You don't say. Yeah. And also, ow. Ow, yeah. Poor thing. Okay, last, but certainly not least. Oh, God. If you are convinced that the world is coming to an end and want to start prepping, I will now tell you how. Okay. Kenyon, take notes. I Here we am. go. 
This is mostly from a website called primalsurvivor.net. Oh, Hmm. no. Sounds credible. Yeah. It is an intense website. Step one. Remember that prepping isn't simply a set of steps to take. Prepping Mm. is a mentality. It means that you accept that a disaster could strike. It means accepting responsibility for your own safety and security and that of your family. It means being active in the face of disaster instead of passive. Take some time to research the most likely disasters which could occur. Fun. These, these risks include <laughs> or these include risks like EMP attacks, which I had to Google. I think it's electromagnetic pulse or something like that. Wow. Okay. Okay. Basically, theoretically, it, it would wipe out anything with like a motherboard. Oh, so okay. it could completely disable I mean, the that's grid. Computers, the, that's the grid. fairly likely. Okay, yep. uh, China has all the capabilities. Too. Yeah, this is like the evolution of modern warfare. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is taking out people's power grids, internet. Yep. Yeah, all that shit. Hurricanes and flooding, earthquakes, economic collapse, etc. Mm-hmm. Yes, some of these threats are highly unlikely, but highly unlikely doesn't mean it won't happen. By accepting that there is real risk, you will be in a better position psychologically when disaster does strike. Hey, there's some psych. This alone may be enough to save you since you will be ready to take action instead of panicking in the face of danger. I mean, I'd probably still panic. I was going to say, I'm still planning on, I'm building in panic time. Yeah. I'm in my panic room that I'm building in. I really want a panic room too. Me too. I want a fucking panic room real bad. Panicking is an evolutionary response. I think you're allowed to panic a little bit. Panicking is my favorite pastime. Step two, water should be your primary focus. You need it for drinking and hygiene, but how much do you need? The short answer is you need at least 14 gallons of water per person, which breaks down. Like how? Well, I'll I'll get to it. Okay. That breaks down. Right. How much you, how much water you use in a day right now is not the same as how much you would use if you stockpiled water. So I'm just, yeah, yeah. This breaks down to one gallon per day for two weeks for each person. Okay. However, like I just said, most people use a lot more water than this. So to be fully prepared, you'll want to aim for around 60 to 120 gallons of water per person, which would give you two to four gallons of water per day to last 30 days. Yeah, that's a lot of water to store. I do not have that capability. Well, then you should learn how to purify water, how to store water, and how to harvest water. Step three, food. Again, you should aim for a 30-day supply. So consider stocking up on canned foods, including meat, beans, fish, fruits, vegetables, crackers, oatmeal, cereal, powdered milk. You should also learn how to make powdered milk. No. No, thank you. Peanut butter or (laughs) powdered peanut butter. I'd rather just fucking die than even think about powdered milk. So (laughs) next. Jams and jellies, preferably in plastic containers, not glass, because it's lighter and it won't break as easily. Mm. Crackers, instant mashed potatoes, granola bars, red lentils, couscous, dried fruits, or fruit leather. For long-term disasters, stock these plus seaweed, Mm. freeze-dried stuff, honey, lard, Different oils, because at some point it might just be about calorie intake. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Canned tuna in oil, because more calories. 
Ramen Can- and pickles. I'm out at I'm out at powdered milk. Mm. Kenyon's out at tuna in oil. Mm, 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 mm. Absolutely not. I already but honey said seaweed does last forever. For so honey ever. is a really good one. And has like healing and antibiotic mm-hmm. and antimicrobial properties. Could be a salve. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So this food is only going to last so long, so also learn how to hunt and fish and forage and build a survival garden. No. Eh. <laughs> Kenyon's just no. opting out of the apocalypse. No. If we, if we can't shop for it, it I'm not doing yeah, it. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd have, like, a very strong will to live in the event of, like, a real apocalypse. Right. I'm like, fucking diabetic. I am yeah. out. I'm not gonna... I, I think yeah. my, my, realistic, my yeah. realistic prepping would be like a handgun and a fatal amount of heroin. I was gonna... Yeah, I just... Mm. My prepping is a comfy place to die yeah. because <laughs> yeah. no thank you. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I do really love a disaster movie slash a zombie movie Same. where there's like, you know, you're like picking a vehicle and you're Strategies getting like and, gas mm. to like put in the vehicle and then you're like acquiring guns. I like the early days of the apocalypse <laughs> yeah. movies. Yeah. But in reality, if I have like one inconvenience, I'm not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm not going to garden. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> garden. Literally the easiest of all the things that are on this list. I'm not gonna garden. I need no. to plant a garden. <laughs> that song. I love that song. <laughs> the inside of your brain is that song. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Step four, stockpile non-food items like toilet paper, scissors, buckets, lamps, matches, heating elements. Now we're cooking with gas. Yeah, this now is Kenyon's fucking niche. Q-tips, yeah. soap, gloves, aspirin, anti-diarrhea medicines. For oh, some yeah. reason, fish antibiotics. Didn't really look into that. Underwear, plastic sheeting, weapons mm-hmm. and ammunition. And Amanda, this is what I thought you were going to say. Don't forget about barter items. Oh, So yeah. in a large-scale disaster, you may Gold end bricks. up needing to trade stuff with other yeah. survivors. That's where your booze stockpile will be very, 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 mm-hmm. very lucrative. The best barter items are things you can make yourself, such as alcohol or herbal medicines. Yep. Mm. Oh, I would, I would do a still. I would maybe get into that to barter for other shit. Something totally. that could potentially blow you up over just planting a couple carrots <laughs> absolutely with yeah. you on that though that sounds way more fun when we were in south africa during the early days of covid and we were under like an actual lockdown with like martial law and yeah, whatever that was and they horrifying. banned the sale of booze and cigarettes Kenyon barely made it she <laughs> needs her cigs i don't i don't <laughs> smoke and the next one in here without a pack of luckies in her hand dies hear me loretta <laughs> But we knew some people, like, actually, they were, like, French teachers at the school, and they, like, needed their cigarettes. Mm-hmm. And so Zach was able, I don't know how, but he was able to, like, get a carton of, like, Marlboros or it's something. It's like a black market situation yeah, for a long time. Yeah, like, trade uh-huh. them for red wine, which is yeah. what we wanted. Zach amassed his wealth by selling black market marbs. <laughs> <Yeah>. Marbs. <laughs> Gross. Marb reds. Marb red 100s were really hot for him. It Ish. was fun. <laughs> what? He felt um, like Nucky Thompson. Oh yeah. My God. Of course. <laughs> Bootlegger. Also, shoes and things like tampons are going to be mm-hmm. big 
Big ticket items post-collapse. Honestly, the one big thing I can say for anyone who menstruates, get a a cup before Mm. the apocalypse. Get a cup. Mm -hmm. I haven't had to purchase a tampon in two years. Mm -hmm. It's pretty great. Um, Step five, plan an escape route. So some people buy an escape property, Mm. which is a little insane. A bug out location. In the Midwest, we call that a cabin. Well, you should at least have a bug out location plan and also a plan for how to get there and also a plan for how to get home later. My Mm. bug out location is Kenyon's house, so I got to make my plan. Fair. Also know that it's probably going to be safer to stay at home than to bug out. Than to travel, yeah. yeah. Make plans with your family. Have a communication plan, a meeting point, a backup meeting point, a list of emergency contacts and procedures for specific types of disasters, fire, flooding, earthquakes, etc. Have That's copies of your of passport. talking to my family. <laughs> yeah. And run drills. Make sure everyone's on the same page because this could no. happen at any moment. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. We'll do it live. Have you ever watched the, the Doomsday Preppers show? No. Oh, yeah. It's so fun. I it's hilarious. It. It's, it's really much. funny. Well, those people are insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love all of them. So it is, in short, it's never too early to start stockpiling for the end of the world, as Kenyon has shown us. Start practicing now by going camping and learning some survival techniques. Maybe meditate on whether you could mentally take another person's life to save yourself or your loved ones. That I could could do. Yep. Yeah. I could not camp. I could kill. I could (laughs) camp. I actually do really like, I actually like camping, but not for like, not indefinitely. Yeah. I eventually need a structure with like walls. Yeah. That aren't made of canvas i Mm. could glamp corrugated metal glamp okay (laughs) all right well that's my segment i hope you learned something Mm -hmm. i learned a lot about myself actually yeah (laughs) my own limits (laughs) i learned was a mirror in front of my face i'm defo gonna die roll soon (laughs) into the apocalypse perfect okay should we hear a quick word from our sponsors yes casco (laughs) (laughs) sam's club Anyone, eight takers? Gentle reminders for the new year. You got to check in with yourself before offering help to someone else. You can't mm-hmm. pour from an empty glass. Mm-hmm. You got to put your own oxygen mask on first before assisting others. Absolutely. You got to rest when you need to rest. Ask for what you need. It's not selfish. It's just what you need. And say yes to more things that make you feel good. Transport your mind to a world where you can relax and treat yourself to your deepest desires with Dipsy. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for everybody. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. You can discover stories about second chance romances adventurous vacation flings, White Lotus, anybody? Oh. And hot and heavy hookups. It's also radically inclusive, so that means Dipsy has stories for straight and queer listeners, and 56% of stories are voice acted by people of color. Listen to stories voiced by Sarunas J. Jackson, ER Fightmaster, and Luke Cook. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy stories that you can read. 
if, you know, you got to keep it quiet. (laughs) So let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax, unwind, or maybe heat things up with a partner in the new year. For listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash G-A-L-S. One more time, dipsystories.com slash gals and treat your fantasies. Treat them. Are we ready for my case? Yeah. No, probably. I, I love this case and... There should be more information about this guy online, and there just isn't enough. Like, I want more. That happened with me. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't cover the same person, but I feel like in in the realm of doomsday (laughs) preppers, there's a very specific type, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and not much is known. Yeah. So I relate. They tend to be a little reclusive. Yeah. A little reclusive. Yeah. (laughs) My guy kind of bucks a lot of the stereotypes, not all of them, but a lot Mm. of them. And we will get to it. Okay. Also, when you Google it, so his name is Bruce Beach, but there's also a place called Bruce Beach in like Mm. California, which is completely unrelated. So very difficult to Google. Okay. Bruce Bigelow male gigolo. Okay. So Bruce Beach was born in... Ticket. (laughs) Ticket. Ticket. God. One of my favorite moments of 2022. (laughs) That was so fucking funny. I don't even remember what you... It was at our... I said you had sex on a toilet seat for Body World's tickets, and Kenya just goes, ticket. Ticket. (laughs) A single ticket. I mean, you had to to go with him, so... Yeah, yeah. I know. I have the value that you thought it was. Listen, that sex on the toilet. Half at most. <laughs> Fucking worth it. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Bruce Beach was born in 1934 in Winfield, Kansas. You said Kansas. Kansas. Is that Is right? That right? <laughs> <laughs> hurts so bad. <laughs> As a child, he was always a bit of an outsider, and when he was 17 years old, he faked his age in order to enter the U.S. Air Force. He as had a pass As you do, as apparently the Air Force doesn't check. No. Yeah, wait, what year was that? The 30s. Uh, he was, was 17. In the 30s. So it's in the 17, 50s. 17, so in the 50s. Wow. They, I mean, it's they only they had an it. online database. But no, but they had we had IDs. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah, absolutely we did. Maybe they were just okay. scooping up as many people as they could get. <laughs> yeah. From from hiring a genealogist to do my family tree, they had lots of records <laughs> way before the 50s, <laughs> the 1950s. <laughs> so he had a passion for studying radios, computers, economics, and philosophy. And no. for someone with, like, that smattering of passions, he really, like, Spent his life doing all of those things, I would say. Wow. Wow. Commitment. After his time in the Air Force, which he spent mostly stationed in Greenland. Cool. He married his first wife, Maxine. The couple had four children together, although one tragically died in infancy. During this time, Bruce worked, perhaps not surprisingly, 
as a fallout shelter salesman. <laughs> that would be the best. So What's fun. that Brendan Fraser movie? Is Blast it Blast from, from the Past? Blast from the Past. So good. I just re- I rewatched it while I was on bed rest. So Amazing. good. You do Hold love up. that movie. I love really that movie. <laughs> and eventually he worked as a professor of computer science. Bruce and Maxine divorced in 1961, and not long after, Bruce was injured in a scooter accident. Attention, John. Johnny Calamari. Yeah, John, our editor, who we love. Who we love. (laughs) Gently (laughs) crashed my scooter. Everyone is okay. This was a while ago. Mm -hmm. It was a while ago. No one is mad. Mm Mm-hmm. But you got to be real careful when you're scooting. Yeah, you don't have, I have the walls and bumpers scooter. of a car. Yep. Remember, Always wear your Can you remember when we rented scooters in Vietnam and you didn't trust Zach to the point where you rode on Corey's scooter? <laughs> yeah, Zach <laughs> had never, it was the first thing he ever drove. He never had <gasps> yeah, a behind no. the wheel he, at that no. point. He, Not going to get on a scooter with him. He although I did a couple of times that day, I think. Absolutely Whatever. Not. Yeah. No. That no. was a and I couldn't none drive of it us myself. had any business being on those. No, they weren't even scooters. Those were like vests, like they were motorbikes, rickshaws. Yeah, they yeah. were basically oh. motorcycles. They had way more power than your average scoot. Oh mm-hmm. geez, souped up. Okay, so this scooter accident left Bruce bedridden for months. Oh God, disfigured permanently. That's a bad accident. Yeah. But he spent his recuperation time reading, and by the end of his recovery, he felt he had found his true purpose in life. What do you think it is? Just guess. Scooter racer. Doomsday prepping. Hmm? Hmm? Hmm. Nope. Bunker design. Nope. Predicting the end of the world. Oh, tarot. You're um, almost closer, but cosmetol dance. (gasps) (laughs) Interpretive dance. Yeah. Cold. Okay. Cold, okay. <laughs> Firstly, I give up. he had discovered the Baha'i faith. Okay. Have you heard of this faith? I've heard of it, but I don't know the tenets I of it. I don't know really. anything about it really either. I did like a brief Wikipedia. Sounds interesting. <laughs> Basically, according to Wikipedia, ba- the Baha'i faith is, quote, a relatively new religion teaching the essential worth of all religions and the unity of all people. So this originated in Iran in the late 19th century. And I think they believe that like all the monotheistic religions are just the part of one spirituality. Honestly, for this guy whose favorite thing is like learning about everything, (laughs) this is pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to stumble upon. I mean, it could have been like men's rights bullshit. uh, You know, like he this this seems great. Could have been some Andrew Tate nonsense. Right. <laughs> I so, don't know who it is. Who is that? You don't know who Andrew Tate is? I know like, all the hubbub about him, but who the fuck what is he? He's like a crazy men's rights turd. Rapist. Who got asshole, internet famous. Bald. Yeah, he's disgusting. And Did he you know who he was jail, before so. last week? I only yeah. knew that he had been kicked off of Twitter for being an a-hole. That's all I knew about him oh. before mm-hmm. this week. Okay. And then, yeah, got caught up. Anyway. Okay. So, Bruce, obviously, he's like a curious, smart guy. So, he's like sure. finding all this stuff. Second, he realized that perhaps the biggest problem facing humanity was scooters. Um, 
It's the 50s, 60s. Um, Pot. Bay of pigs. (laughs) Hot. The, quote, world language problem. Okay, the fact that we don't have one concise language that everyone in the world learns how to speak. Yep. The lack of a common tongue that would let us communicate in the wake of an apocalyptic disaster. Interesting. He did not see iPhones coming. Nope. Also, like, attempts at creating a world language have been made by lots of people over the centuries. And have all failed. They've all failed. (laughs) One that had a pretty good run is Esperanto, but Bruce was not into that one. I mean, English is pretty damn close to a world language. The closest we've gotten is English because they teach it in a lot of places, but it's still not everywhere. There's always been like a lingua franca. Like for a while, it was French or you Mm -hmm. know whatever. Like there's always like a predominant little bit language for trade and stuff. But like people have been trying to come up with like a language that borrows from the grammatical structures of lots of languages and is simplified and like you know, more universal, but it never works because biases creep in and people aren't Mm -hmm. taking the time to learn it and whatever. Mm -hmm. So upon recovery from this scoot accident slash epiphany moment, scoot toot riot, (laughs) new boo scootin', Bruce joined a Baha'i temple and decided to devote his life uh, to the world language problem and to also helping prepare humanity to survive an apocalypse. All right, let's fucking go Go for it. At the temple, he met fellow believer named Jean, and the two were soon married. They had three children, and one of them was a daughter named Bahia, Bahia, like after the Baha'i faith. Mm -hmm. And then Bruce would also experience a second tragic loss of a child when one of his children with Jean died in a freak sledding accident at the age of eight. (gasps) Ethan, Ethan Frome. I was just going to say that. Yeah. No. Did she break the pickle dish? Is that the same oh. book? I don't even remember. I, I don't know. I I don't think I read Ethan Frome. It was too shitty. Like, I could Also, I do think it. it was junior year and that we had to read that and oh, you were in France. Oh, okay. Sweet. Or maybe it was sophomore year. I don't remember. Either way. Yeah. Mm. That's really fucking sad. Really oh my sad. God. Yes. So, and then he kind of... And we will get to it and not in like a creepy way, as far as I can tell, focuses a lot of his like preparing for the apocalypse energy on like, we're going to focus on the children and like raising mm-hmm. the children. And I think that probably we believe the children are our future. Exactly. Yeah. What, so I think like, that probably t- stems from the fact that like two of his kids died. Like, right, pre- he experienced serious trauma yeah. around kids. Right. And now he's like, protects all the children at right. all costs. Right. So Bruce and Jean and their surviving children eventually moved to Canada to live on a rural property that Jean's family already owned in the tiny Ontario town of Hornings Mills. Horny goat weed. (laughs) Mm. Yum. Yeah. Hornings Mills. No thanks. What a great bug out location. Mm -hmm. Hornings Mills. I always think about like with town names like that, how annoying it would be to have to say it clearly to like a customer service rep. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. You said horny Miller. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah. No. It's like every time I have to read my email address, if I have to spell yes. it for someone, it's like, it's so fucking long. There's so many letters. I just don't okay. want to. <laughs> mm-hmm. I- I'm exhausted. <laughs> Life is hard enough. 
Yeah, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> okay, so this property was perfect for Bruce to begin preparing for the end times. He now believed that without a doubt, the majority of humanity would be wiped out by a nuclear disaster within his lifetime. Oof. Again, kind of logical. It, we got close. In the 60s. Well, and he's, I was going to yeah. say, he started kind of ruminating on this in the 50s and 60s. So yeah. This is like not completely out of the This is the blast blue. from the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His friends and family felt that this belief came uh, in part from his time in the Air Force at the height of the Cold War, because during this time when he was stationed in Greenland, he had been instructed to be prepared for a Soviet nuclear attack at literally any moment of any day. That's so scary. This next part, I could not find more information about, and it's really perplexing, and like I <laughs> don't know how this happened other than just the fact that, like, it did. White men it in the 60s and 70s just had every opportunity thrown at them. Okay. Like, I don't under... Whatever. So early on in his time in Canada, Bruce received a roughly $50 million tax credit from the government. What? Ostensibly for scientific research. I will ostensibly research something for $50 million. <laughs> Is that all it takes? Can I, I ostensibly receive $50 million from the government? Can I research the effect of $50 million on my life and yeah. the life of my community? It'll, it'll <laughs> have a big impact, let me it tell you. I know. I don't understand what or how. Like, how? He had been a professor of computer science, and now he's building a bunker. An ark. But also, like, he's an, I think he's a naturalized Canadian citizen at this point. I don't know. 50 million, 50 fucking million dollars. All right, bud. You got it. So, okay. He used the money to buy and retrofit an old ferry to make it suitable for deep sea exploration. Okay. I'm getting, uh, yeah. Superior Wisconsin Duluth underwater hotel vibes right now. Mm, I was thinking about the from the man crimes episode. The guy who with the submarine. So he was that he, fucking guy too. He was trying the to murderer. make the ferry into a deep sea submarine for deep sea exploration. Like the Which ferry would go under. Yeah. Or or the ferry is at the surface and equipped with diving. Right. Yeah. I don't That's know connected which. to it. Okay. I, again, could not find more information about this other than what I am reading to you right now. You're doing great. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Bruce <laughs> referred to this venture as the Canada Tomorrow Discovery Corporation. Mm, that's Ew. not a great name. Why are men specifically so bad at naming mm-hmm. companies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. His plan was to use the ferry also to find sunken treasure. Nice. There it is. Which logically he would then sell to fund his plans to create a universal language. Logically. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're yeah. just, it's all connecting all the dots here. Yep. Honestly, nothing has ever made more sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Continue. Yep. First, I got to retrofit the ferry. Then I yep. got to find the sunken treasure. Then I got to yep. write a universal language. And then I got to yep. sell a fallout shelter. If I can't shelter. scuba, what's this all been yeah, about? I what has this all been about? a lot on my plate, people. <laughs> yeah. And I'm still recovering Tom's from my broken scooter into. <laughs> and then my scooter, my scooter rolled five times. And then he had to go get eye it surgery. Was snowing. And- <laughs> 
I'm under a lot of stress. Yeah, you could say I'm under a lot of stress. <laughs> <laughs> My arc was broken into, and I confronted the burglar, and <laughs> on the brink of nuclear warfare. <laughs> My kid died in a sledding accident. Okay. I don't know. Oh, oh okay. no. He's all so, over the place. He is. He is. Um, this man needs psychological assistance mm. to recover from the trauma of his, his very real trauma. Yeah. And not $50 million yeah. to build an arc and make a universal language. Maybe yeah. it was ostensibly for mental health help. I wish. Got so it. then he comes up with a new plan. So he loses all this, this money. With this fairy and not finding sunken treasure, go figure. (laughs) (sighs) So now he decides to build a shelter on Jean's property in Horning's Mills that was (laughs) capable of housing enough people that they would be able to wait out the immediate aftermath of a nuclear disaster and then go on to, of course, repopulate the Earth. And I imagine they'd be speaking the new universal language. Mm -hmm. Got it. Although it doesn't really matter if you're the only people surviving, you could literally speak any right. language. Yeah. And that would be the, whatever, it's fine. Precisely. <laughs> so he referred to this project as ARC 2. Arc- the streets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's officially Arc 2, The Streets now. That's that's it. Oh, my God. Okay, yeah. In, the re-arcaning. <laughs> In 1979, he purchased 42 disused school buses. God, what now? For around $300 a piece and began... Be- that is a bargain. <laughs> yeah. And- if someone offered me a bus for $300, I would, without any idea of what to use it for would immediately I know you would yeah Yeah. and uh, that's a you thing it was 1979 so Mm -hmm. time money converter right right that wasn't no money but that's still a real affordable price and and a bulk pricing of 42 school presses let's go yeah who's your best guy so then he begins this monumental project of burying these 42 school buses underground, about four, under the ground, 14 feet below the ground, yep. and then pouring concrete over them. Yep. So okay. they're the, bu- the bus bunkers. Yeah. Yep. So if you go on the drive and listeners, we've had more questions about it. When we talk about the drive, that's just for us. But all but the blog, the blog is for on you. our website, mindcrimepodcast.com, yeah. that has the blog page. It has all the photos for you. Wow. Yep. This is incredible. And I've totally seen some of these pictures before. Yeah. I didn't know this was this guy. Yeah. Cool. Damn. Mm-hmm. This is so much better than what my guy put together. Let me just tell you. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so this process took about six years, the concrete and the burying and the buses. As for why he chose school buses to build his ark, Bruce would later say, quote, they were just inexpensive at the time. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The buses made the form to pour the concrete. If the buses left today, it wouldn't make any difference because the shelter is here. It's built out of concrete and reinforced concrete. They were just a form that we left in place. So other people yep. will do this with like, uh, well. Shipping containers. Right. And- yep. Yeah. Like literal, like barrels, tunnels, tubing, 
as yeah. a plastic form, basically, they mm-hmm. pour around it. And then if the form deteriorates, it doesn't matter. It, right. Exactly. Yeah. Although concrete doesn't actually last that long. You get one crack. And nope. it's, no, it's not the well, best. And it's material. porous. Mm-hmm. So if the, you get leaks, you're in big trouble. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Uh, he had bigger fish to fry. So after the basic structure was in place, Bruce began recruiting friends, family members and strangers to become part of his plan. He was constantly brainstorming the best ways to unite people who survived the inevitable nuclear blast in order to restart society together. I think that's where like his heart really was, was like mm-hmm. making Saving plans, society. Yeah, for a new society. He's really into this language. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, you know, he As started part of working his on faith, this. Like his faith is faith. that all religions are, are you know, one spirituality, one religion. Like he wants to bring people together. Yeah, he's a unifier. And it's 79 that he started this project. Mm-hmm. So he's entering into the era of the internet where mm-hmm. he could really connect with other like-minded people mm-hmm. who want to go into his bunker. Mm-hmm. Lock. Bunker buds. Bunker buds. <laughs> Bunker buds.net. Bunkies. God. <laughs> So Bruce would spend the next 40 years building out the interior of the bunker, which had the capacity to provide shelter for up to 500 people. Dang. It covered over 10,000 square feet, making it the largest privately built bunker in North America. Yeah, because they won't give us the stats on the president's Mm -hmm. bunker. (laughs) You know it exists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There are probably several. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It includes... Two commercial kitchens, full plumbing, a radio communication center, a chapel, Ugh. a decontamination room. Oh, speaking of, oh my fucking oh god! god how speaking did, of decontamination, a yes, breastfeeding room, f- fucking a lactation space. Um, <laughs> no, it does not. But, uh, <laughs> Every space is a it lactation should, space, right? Yeah. When you whip those titties out enough. Okay, so the decontamination thing. Oh, my God. So my mom and my uncle were here in Louisville visiting over the holidays, and we went to Angel's Envy Bourbon Distillery one of the days for a tour. Yeah. And we're up, and, you know, the tour guide is showing us the the big tanks where they, you know, distill this and the malt and what. I don't even fucking know. Mm, All the she bourbon stuff, right? What did oh, she God. do? Oh, and people God. are asking <laughs> bourbon-related questions. Oh, God. Because it's a fucking it's a tour bourbon tour. It's a bourbon distillery. Yeah. She raises her hand. First of all, <laughs> no one's raising their hand. There are literally 10 of us. <laughs> Just ask. And she points to the corner where they have one of those, like... Like an eye wash and yes. shower, emergency shower. Yeah, yeah, an emergency eye wash station and shower. Yep. And she goes, what kind of accident would that be for in like she wanted like she knew what <laughs> what's the worst thing you've ever done <laughs> like she knew what it question. was <laughs> yeah you fucking creeps and the tour guide was like um, no one has ever <laughs> asked me that before but she's like i'm just wondering like what could get on you that you would need to to decontaminate from and he yeah. was like uh uh, I guess like the cleaning chemicals. Yeah, and like if you get hot fucking like malt and mash in your eyes, you're gonna want to fucking rinse it out. Yeah, doesn't mean it's gonna kill you. Completely legitimate question. 
I'm okay. with her. And I'm curious. Her. Yeah, I'm curious now. It was fucking hysterical. What was the last accident that you <laughs> experienced that required the eye watch? I'll email them. What's it called? Angels Envy. Angels Envy. Good ride. Really good ride. Okay. So decontamination room, a reception area with, quote, cubby holes for firearms. Lock. Mm. Everyone gets their own cubby. Just get a swimming pool. (laughs) A Mm. dentist chair. Oh. Yeah. Just in a room. Yeah. And Mm. a mortuary. Hopefully not in that order. Oh, God. He thought of a lot of things. Yeah. The mortuary is key, and we'll kind of get to it Mm. in my case. Yes. So one feature that Bruce was especially proud of was a collapsible weather balloon deployed antenna that was capable of being launched from within the shelter. So he could literally like poke up and check Uh, out the surface. Send signals. And this is amazing. I want to move in here. Mm-hmm. Well, Periscope. Bruce stated on numerous occasions that the shelter was meant to be, quote, run by women to raise and protect children in order to help rebuild a society after a nuclear bomb. And we're not good for anything else. So that makes sense. Right. (laughs) And it features at least one specified women's bathroom. Okay, good. We got one. (laughs) Yeah, the children thing. Yeah. The fact that a large percentage of the population was expected to be children was clear from many of the ark's features, including smaller sinks and toilets in some of the bathrooms. Mm-hmm. I'm picturing like at our elementary school, yep. the like pedal, foot pedal, yep. tiny mm-hmm. children. Cubbies sink. that don't have guns in <laughs> yeah, them. Non-firearm cubbies. Um, cubbies. <laughs> Children's play areas, child-sized bunk beds. And he said that his plan was for the kids to sleep 12 hours at a time and then change sleeping shifts. So, like, good luck, Bruce. Tell me how, Bruce. (laughs) Yeah, sleep training expert, Bruce. He was also clear about prioritizing children at the expense of adults, stating, quote, we're going to say to people, well, we have room for your children, but we don't have room for you. That's the nature of life. This is the lifeboat. Logically, I do get that, but this is real creepy. I love how, how he's like, is. I just want to build my bunker and fill it with children, only children Women and children. Yeah, I know it. It it, it does sound it gets, a little it borders creepy. On a little creepy. Yeah, I didn't read anything about yeah. like he seemed like a great dad and like mm-hmm. a, like his kids really loved him like i know he's not trying to diddle kids right. he's just obviously very hung up on protecting the children yes trauma yeah so even after the cold war ended although now it's like starting up again bruce remained steadfast in his belief that all his work would be necessary his close friend paul kell who would eventually make a documentary about bruce but i don't think it's out yet hmm has stated, quote, I think after the fall of the Soviet Union, a lot of people thought the threat of nuclear war was over, but Bruce never did. He was Mm. convinced there would be a nuclear holocaust with the first domino falling between Pakistan and India, Mm. and then the world would erupt from there. Mm. While it is not known exactly how much money Bruce Beach spent on his arc, it was a fucking lot. Yeah, it had to have been. His daughter, Bahia, or Bahia, I'm not sure, would later joke, quote, my entire inheritance is sitting in that thing. <laughs> She's Yikes. probably not far off. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Dad. 
Uh, what do I do with this? <laughs> Bruce was not alone in his devotion to the Ark 2. People from all over who heard about it would show up to work on the bunker on a regular basis, and Bruce would hold doomsday prepper gatherings with hundreds of supporters on the property every summer. Yeah, I was going to say, he has, like, cons. Oh, yeah. Thing. Cons. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking doom con. People would doom also fest. just, like, show up, and he would give them a tour as long as they, like, pitched in with some manual labor. Yeah, it's like a co-op. Yeah. So he's not your typical doomsday prepper because he was like an outspoken critic of a lot of the like prepper ideology that is more individualistic because mm -hmm. he yep. was all about the collective. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was constantly in conflict with local politicians and firefighters. Mm, I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder. Who had declared that the bunker was not safe for human use because it was not built to code. No. <laughs> Is he, uh, I mean, he had to have worked with like architects or engineers. Or did he just like figure it out himself? All uh, as in he sound like it. I think he wow. have a background in engineer stuff? He seems he like he's just completely self-taught. Yeah. Jack of all trades. Yeah, yeah jack of all of trades guy. Who knows? I mean, he knew about radios. Yeah, okay. How hard could it really be, honestly? Listen, he fucking pulled it off. This structure <laughs> is actually quite impressive and incredible, but I'm just curious. And it's not like 500 people ever lived in this thing. Like, no. you know, it could have been to put full it like, of flaws. Like, we don't fucking know. Right. He hasn't put it to the ultimate yeah, test. It wasn't yeah. up to code. Yeah. <laughs> So according to one acquaintance, quote, the fire chief would go out there and weld the ark shut, and he wasn't even out of the driveway when Bruce would be up there cutting the weld off. <laughs> Love like, that. Like, what are they going to do? They can't, they can't dig up his 42 concrete school buses <laughs> out of his yard. It's too big. You they know, the most they can do is close, weld the door shut, and he can Try just to, weld yeah. it off. At what point does the, does the government just... Let him have it. Just right? whatever. He's trying to help you. Well, your kids anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so his daughter says, said in interviews that she and her siblings had a, quote, very normal childhood. Aside, yeah, okay. from, her, aside from her dad being unwavering in his belief that the world was going to end in his lifetime. Oh, uh, he, di he did do the thing of, like, predicting dates and then they wouldn't happen and then he'd recalculate. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. They just can't help themselves. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You like to have a countdown clock. Yeah. You know, yeah. speaking of New Year's Eve. Listen, I love <laughs> deadlines. Okay. Yeah. I thrive on a deadline. Mm -hmm. I will never get this bunker done if I don't know when the world's going to end. That's, there you go. <laughs> mm -hmm. You need the urgency. Yeah. It's really just for me. Yeah, it's personal. I get it. So I just need the accountability, okay? Yeah, yeah. I need the external accountability of a, of a timeline. Yep. That's what the Mayans said when they made their calendar. Mm -hmm. You know, we as a society just really need the there accountability. There needs to be an end date or this is just going to go on forever. Or what's yep. this all been about? What has it been about? So in the end, Bruce was wrong, at least thus far at the time of this recording, December 31st, 2022. Is he still mm. alive? He did not live to witness a nuclear apocalypse, but passed away following a massive heart attack in just May of 2021. Oh. oh. Was he in the bunker or was he above he ground? Was ab I believe he was in his home above ground on the property. Mm. Okay. He was 87 years old. Oh. 
In his older years, Beach had an active YouTube channel. No. (laughs) There's like nothing worse than an active YouTube channel. Of an elderly doomsday prepper. We have an active YouTube channel. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I said what I said. The last video he posted before his death was titled, quote, The Time of the Antichrist is Upon Us. Oh. Uh Uh-oh. In the words of one obituary, quote, Beach died on May 10th, leaving behind an ailing wife, five grown children, a massive bunker. An ailing wife? Who writes that? Yeah. I know. Who did this? Some half-finished plans for a new world and no instructions for how to carry on without him. Okay, whoever wrote that obit, I don't think was a big fan. This sounds really sad. I think they were trying to be tug-in-cheek. I guess. Like they don't like they're gonna miss. Like I think it right, was. We don't know what to do without you. Yeah, trying to be it, like dry. Mm-hmm. I guess ailing life, ailing wife is making it land a little less softly mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. But I get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Maybe she's the one who wrote it. Maybe mm-hmm. friends and family say Maybe. they have no idea what will become of Bruce's bunker because quote he never planned to die before the imminent catastrophe he envisioned. <laughs> Did he oh make God. a will he, or anything? He, no. No, oh, no. He left no instructions on <gasps> what should be done with the property after he died. Because oh. why fucking would he? He knew the world. He knew that he was going to live in the bunker. Oh Don't my do that. God. He overprepared for one type of ending and underprepared for the real inevitable yeah. one. Hmm. <laughs> According to his daughter, quote, we were actually thinking of selling it at one point, but then we thought, how in the world would we even do that? How do you put something like this on the market to begin with? What price do you put on it? We just didn't know. That's where other people come in. Get a realtor. Get a realtor. Figure out something. I mean, maybe it could be made into like a museum or a tourist attraction if it's an escape room. Yeah, I mean, who knows? There's all kinds of stuff that could be done with it, but it would have to be reinforced so that it's actually up to code mm-hmm. and like deemed safe for occupancy. There could just be another prepper who buys it. Yeah, right. lo- I don't know how these preppers get this much money, but they do, man. Yeah, they hoard it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're masters of hoarding. Or the Canadian government just pays them. Yeah, randomly to build up treasure. Hunter, I don't even know. Bruce's friend, the filmmaker Paul Kell, has described the shelter as no longer fit for human habitation. Mm. Quote, I think the shelter's shelf life has since expired. When he started building it in the later 1970s, the expectation for him at the time was that he'd use it within a few years, hence the concrete. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So Kell plans to release his documentary about Bruce titled The Dawn Sayer. Sounds like a video game. Yeah. In the coming year. In the film, in addition to the story of Arc 2, Kel focuses on a number of inventions that Bruce made just in his spare time. Probably when it was too cold in Canada to like dig. In the bunker. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Including what he believes should be recognized as the world's first portable computer. You don't say. Okay, this guy is claiming that Bruce Beach made the world's first like laptop, essentially. Oh, okay. It was called the Light Writer, and he made it in 1973. It was 15.5 pounds and came in a briefcase that had a modem and a portable keyboard. Well, wow. shit. All right. Yeah. Badass. Take that, Steve Jobs. 
Yeah. Bruce had reportedly lined up a deal with Xerox to mass produce the Light Rider, but the deal no was killed by IBM and the Light Rider never made it to market. I wonder if they're Ooh. kicking themselves now. <laughs> I don't I think shouldn't have walked shouldn't have walked away from the Light Rider. You could have been the next Apple. Yeah, Xerox is kicking themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. So according to Kel, quote, Bruce could have very well have been a Steve Jobs-like figure or an Elon Musk type. He said this. He said this before. He said this (laughs) in 2021. But instead, he ended up basically living in poverty. There were a number of dreams that he came very close to realizing, but in the end, he was just a few lucky breaks away from infamy rather than obscurity. Ah, yeah. That old chestnut. With the exception of the fame (laughs) he got from the bunker. (laughs) Attention at any price. Yeah. (laughs) In addition to ARC 2, Bruce left behind his plans for a universal auxiliary language Mm -hmm. that he created called Angel Tongue. Angel Tongue. Angel Tongue. Wow. A stripped down phonetic version of English that he thought would be easy for people to learn. Mm. Maybe it's supposed to be pronounced Angel Tongue, but it's just like super phonetic. Mm. Yeah. I'm realizing the J is not pronounced. (laughs) He's okay. gotta, they got to stop naming stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Reflecting on Bruce's legacy, Kel stated, quote, life never beat him down. That's something I always found very inspiring about Bruce. He was the world's most successful, most grandiose failure imaginable. Oh, <laughs> says your best friend. <laughs> my best friend. I hope someone says that. The most about grandiose me at my failure imaginable. She was the imaginable. most grandiose <laughs> failure imaginable. With friends like and that. we loved her. God. And she was like a friend to us. <laughs> that is my case. Wow. R.I.P. Bruce. Yeah. I'm sad you didn't get to see your dream he of nuclear a- apocalypse. Coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sad you so waited sorry. all Tuesday. Yeah, I waited all, all Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> and then just died of a heart attack. Yeah. What a freaking bummer. Wow. Yeah, he's an interesting guy. Well, here's to upholding your legacy. Yeah. To the Ark, too. Mm. Angel All right. Tongue. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, Dehydrated Milk. <laughs> Powdered Milk subscription. Powdered peanut butter. Oh, God. Yum. Absolutely not. So All right. Hungry. Great. Ew. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for my case? I truly Let's draw don't some know. parallels. Bring on the yeah. underground arcs. Golly. Okay, so 2008 was incredible. We had Twilight Mania. Mm. Beyonce had her Sasha Fierce era. Oh, yeah. Uh, Barack Obama was elected president. Mm-hmm. Ever, Ever heard, heard of him? him? 2008 was a banger year. Mm-hmm. It was a banger. And the true Russian Orthodox Church, also known as Heavenly Jerusalem, was put on the wow. map. Oh, God. Okay. Its founder, Pyotr Kuznetsov, 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 I'll just be Pyotr, Peter, Kuznetsov, Peter Kuznetsov, Peter Kuznetsov, Pyotr Kuznetsov, was a bit of a character. There's a photo of him on the drive and it'll be on the blog and honestly, go look at it because ish, when I think of a character, yeah. Oh no! What the uh, fuck is that? Him? Prince, ah! Yeah. Mutant. 
Rasputin yeah, never died. He lived yeah. forever as a vampire, and he became Peter cut his knots off. Look at yeah, his Yeah, he's got some rah, rah, Rasputin to him. No. For sure. Like, when I think of charismatic cult leaders, this is not the visage that comes to mind. No. But also, if Charles Manson could pull it off, I guess anyone can. He's He's kind of... I mean, he doesn't actually look like Charles Manson, but there's a quality. There's a, there's a vibe. Abs, there's a star quality. The yeah, dead there's eyes. A Charles Manson star quality mm. to yeah. him for fucking shirts. Mm, don't like it. Mm-mm, yeah, not mm-mm, great. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So, Pyotr was part <laughs> of the Russian, the the regular Kazuntite <laughs> Russian Orthodox Church. Very real thing. Mm-hmm. But didn't feel like the church was orthodox enough. Oh, God. And broke away (laughs) from it years before this 2008 situation. So he had already broken away from the church and created his own more intense faction, the true Russian Orthodox. Was he like a flagellant or something? Flagellant? I don't know what that means. Flatulent? People who whip themselves? (laughs) People. Oh, I don't think he did that. Okay. Some of the rules, though, included no consumption of processed foods of any kind, and that's mostly because he was, a health was against. No, he was <laughs> against barcodes, which we'll get to. <laughs> Sorry. No television or radio, <laughs> and no handling of money. Okay. So honestly, this is cult 101. Yeah. Like communal living off the land, Isolate. consumption of raw, healthy foods, cut off from any modern ideation by limiting or eliminating access to modern media mm-hmm. and controlling group finances. Yeah. It's like the most fucking cut and dry. Of what what do they say on my favorite murder? Like, call your dad, you're in a mm-hmm. cult. Yeah. Like, couldn't be more cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Piotr also found barcodes, literally the little scanning codes on products, to be satanic and therefore rejected them, mm-hmm. claiming they contained satanic symbols and, quote, the number of the beast. Okay. Well, some of them do. Some of them might. There's a skew number yeah. on there. Fucking barcodes. Mm. It happens. It shit happens. <laughs> okay? The devil's number happens. I've heard crazier things. The mark of the beast Honestly, happens. Get over barcodes it. Barcodes are a little creepy. They're a little weird. They're a little weird. Only weirder, only one-upped in their weirdness by... Tattoos of barcodes. <laughs> oh. Okay. Ish. No. QR codes with your camera. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sketches me out, but I use them. Anyway, all of this just seems kind of silly and weird, but he also felt this the same way about barcodes that he felt about forms of identification, <laughs> like passports or national identification numbers, which is the Russian equivalent of your social security mm-hmm. number. Which is more creepy cult fodder to have members reject their connections to society mm-hmm. down to their very identification. Yep. Also, like, and he sovereign was like, citizen-y. it's mm-hmm. very sovereign citizen-y, and he was like requiring that people destroy their identifying documents. Mm. We should do sovereign citizen crimes. I'm gonna put it on the calendar. Uh yeah, mm-hmm. we should right now. Please do. So when Piotr left the church, he declared himself a prophet, mm-hmm. established this intense structure, and started traveling around Russia to bring in followers. The true Russian Orthodox Church had about 40 members, including families and children. And it was pretty hard for me to nail down the timeline of like, we're part of the regular Russian Orthodox Church to we're following Piotr mm-hmm. to where this is going. Mm-hmm. But we do know that within a few months of the of um his like, Tour being his tour that members started to join him, and that about 40 members had relocated 
to a little town in the Penza region of Russia because there's a series of caves there. Nope. Don't like it. Don't like it. Wow. Do you have pictures of the caves? Yes, I do. It's not good. Oh. Oh, no. Yep. (gasps) So the logic behind having access to the caves was Pyotr's prediction of the end of the world, a prediction that he could make because of his exclusive communications with God. Mm -hmm. So he lured folks in by going around preaching the end of the world, and folks believed him, so they joined him out of fear and survival and he was specifically targeting very devout religious mm-hmm. people fanatics. who are fanatics who are already going to be pretty vulnerable to this is a prophet who is literally the word of God speaking to me. And this is what God's telling me. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go like we know the drill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is so fucking classic. Yeah. Why it's haven't we not done even it funny. Yet. Oh, I know. Where is the wine coven cult? <laughs> <laughs> I'm charismatic. <laughs> I know where so, there's a cave. Yeah, I got caves. I got caves for days. Yeah, caves coming out of my ass. <laughs> Fucking my ass is a cave. Yeah. So he informed his followers that the world would be coming to an end in May of 2008. Exact date, TB. May-ish. May-ish. Second quarter. And that they... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right after tax season. Oh, my God. <sighs> but before summer. That's where we're penciling this okay. in. Before everyone's schedules got crazy. <laughs> right, right. Because, like, school's going to get out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's shut this down. So he's like, the world's going to end in May of 2008. We need to gather supplies and prepare to go underground. So he had this great location with an existing cave system with this little village, like this very small, unassuming so the village. local authorities aren't going to, like, do much do about much. it. Yeah. Yep. So these like 40 people moved to this small village in the Penza region, squatting in abandoned houses while they worked on this underground refuge. Mm. So for months on end, they were already living without any electricity, mm. any running water. Like they they were just living as though they were already in the bunker, but above ground while they built the bunker. Mm, fun. Lucky for them, their leader, Piotr, had been an architect and was able to plan and oversee construction of their bunker within the caves. It was, in in plan, a fairly sophisticated setup with an area for eating, another area for sleeping, a ditch for water, both collecting water and, like, using it, as, as well as a designated area for human waste. The cave was then sealed off with like heavy sacks of sand and then they like barricaded it from the inside so that no one outside could get in well, they were you eventually there. run out of oxygen um it wasn't we'll get okay to that as well okay. and in some places areas of the sis of like this cave system and that they had dug down into it were more than 30 feet below oh, ground my so God, this was like fucking no, deep and basically dry spelunking i don't like that yeah it's very claustrophobic <sighs> and like looking at the pictures of the cave filthy I, clean your cave dude ho- yeah it's horrifying it's really scary and like no vitamin d and just none no you yeah. turn into mole people within like a week oh mm-hmm. yeah i refer to them as mole people a couple oh, times good. in my notes so They had been living in the village for several months in 2007, prepping for these caves, when suddenly in October of 2007, so it's the end of the year. Just in time for Russian winter. Yeah, Uh literally, literally, they disappeared from the village. 
So people in the village are like, where the fuck did all these weirdos go? (laughs) And then discovered that they had moved into the cave system and barricaded themselves inside. Oh, my God. Great. They hadn't been too chatty about what they were working on while living in the village, and they were known to take sporadic vows of silence. So people were like, these guys are weird, but I don't think they expected the neighbors the didn't really expect thing them is such a classic culty thing too yep but the neighbors were not really expecting them to fully move underground so people are like wait what the where'd fuck? all they where'd all the weirdos go <laughs> so there were at least 35 people in the caves including three children under 12 years old and a, at least one infant Ugh. So this is a quote from uh, a Reuters article. Mr. Cut His Nuts Off ordered his followers to burn their passports and go into the cave last November, but did not accompany them himself, <laughs> saying that God had given him different tasks. Y'all fuck off down here. I'm going to stay upstairs. I'm going to stay above ground. God oh. actually wants me. Ma- he needs me uh, uh, over there. Yep. God wants me to have a spa day. Yeah. God thinks I need it. Yes. God yes. booked me a Told suite me. at the Ritz Carlton. I don't mm-hmm. know what to tell I you. I have to go. Mm-hmm. The Moscow Ritz Carlton. Yeah. <laughs> he said, quote, God gave us cover and angels helped us, he claimed, adding that the tunnel was, quote, 50 meters in length and the height of a man. He also said that the sect had dug out a well and a toilet. So they have everything they need. Yeah. yeah. One toilet for 40 people. Sounds In a great. dirt hovel. Anyway. <laughs> After figuring out that all of these folks had moved underground, people were immediately concerned about the conditions in the bunker, especially considering considering there were young children down there. Mm -hmm. The cave system had no electricity or running water, and winter was upon them with average temps of about 15 degrees Fahrenheit in Russia. Although I do think if you're underground, it's pretty well insulated. Like, at least there's that. It's, but it it's is, not like it's you can start a not you can't like start a fire, right? No, to stay warm, you suck up all your oxygen. Yeah, also smoke. So the Russian, <laughs> yeah, and smoke. The Russian government deployed multiple tactics to try and coax members out of the caves, and swiftly arrested Pyotr and placed him under evaluation in a psychiatric hospital, hoping this would also encourage members to emerge. How could they hear but about it? it? Well, they would literally bring him to the bunker. And have him try to talk to his followers to get them to come out. Like a negotiator. And, and, the, yes. and the followers were like, no, they're making him say it. And they literally were making him say it. Yeah. <gasps> but like this was their, I mean, they did this with, they had hundreds of priests come. It is yeah. so much harder to unbrainwash than to brainwash. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. What's what's the word for it? D Deprogram. D- program it's yeah. so much harder to deprogram mm-hmm. than to brainwash in the first place Ugh. yeah okay so Piotr's arrest did not have the desired effect russian television showed part of an exchange between Piotr and one of his doctors which of course his followers would never see because they don't watch tv but in this little clip he says quote people come here with their own convictions some got messages from santa maria others got messages from our lord Others from their relatives. Do you understand? No. To which I say, no, I don't. Piotr. <laughs> no, Piotr. He, no, Piotr. No, Piotr, no. Not <laughs> His arrest and evaluation may not have coaxed folks out of the bunker, but it did expose Piotr for taking the profits from members who had sold off all of their worldly possessions to enter the caves. Mm-hmm. 
He took those funds and used them to live off of while he's not like living extravagantly, but he never went into the bunker and they sold off all their shit Mm -hmm. and he took the money and was just living above ground Mm -hmm. while all these people are suffering underground in the name of the the Lord. Mm -hmm. What a dick. And then he never lived in the caves. Like he would go to the caves, but he didn't fucking live down there. who would want to fucking live down there? No. Not me. So he took those funds to live off of and like never lived in the caves. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I just want to say... For the millionth time, mm-hmm. if you are a religious person or you you find yourself right now in a religious sect mm-hmm. and you're listening to this episode and any of these red flags are sounding mm-hmm. familiar, I am here to tell you, you are being taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. You are being brainwashed. God does not have special instructions for this gross loser <laughs> trying to get you to sell off your shit mm-hmm. and burn your passport. Do not move into an underground cave. Mm-hmm. Just don't, don't do, it. do it. Or an above ground cave. Don't we've, do it. We've, we've no moved caves. past the cave dwelling. Yeah. Nope. We have apartments now. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. So the standoff between the government authorities that had then been brought into this town and the mole people <laughs> was relentless. <laughs> they could only communicate by talking into ventilation pipes going down into the cave. So like the entrance, they had built almost like a little roof on parts of it and it had like a little chimney. Mm. Probably where from their kitchen area so that they could have a cooking. They could have cooking. But they also had a series, a series of tubes, just like the Internet, Mm -hmm. to make sure that they could breathe. Yeah. Oxygen could could circulate under light. Do they have light? No, not really. Not really. Some candlelight. And then I think some daylight got into the like vent holes on occasion. Not enough to. I no. can't they're deal not, with They're this. not healthy. Light no. is like yeah, the not light, least of their problems. Yeah. Yep. Members were not moved by the arrest of Piotr, but rather emboldened by it, basically assuming that he was arrested for being a religious truth teller, mm-hmm. that they were, like Kenyon said, they're forcing him to come mm-hmm. here and try and coax us out, which like is true, but also, yeah, it's all bullshit. <laughs> so the folks in the bunker made it clear that if the government made moves to forcibly remove them from the caves, they would use their stockpile of gasoline Mm. that was stored in the caves to blow themselves up, including the children. Oh, no. And this is in 2008, so this is post-Waco. Yeah. We've already had... It can happen. Mm -hmm. We've already experienced mass suicide Mm -hmm. cults. It's not good. Mm -hmm. So authorities are like, fuck, we don't want that. And we believe the children are our future. Are our future. Mm Mm-hmm. So after making this threat, then the cult takes another convenient vow of silence and out of fear of mass suicide, the authorities keep an eye on them and are like bringing priests to talk to them, Mm -hmm. but not deploying any other methods to force them out of the caves. Mm -hmm. So they live down there silently for months. And like I said, regularly priests would go to the caves and pray into the ventilation so the people below could hear them, hoping to draw them out that way, but still nothing. Oh, my God, these poor children. After surviving a brutal Russian winter in the caves, seven members emerged on March 28th, 2008. The melting snow had compromised the integrity of the caves and at least one portion of the system had collapsed. Uh, They didn't even have concrete. They were just using the dirt walls and like using rock and like clay to quote unquote reinforce the walls of the mm -hmm. caves. No. It's just more porous material that they're plopping on it. And it's Russia. The melting snow is going to be a huge, the change in temperature. Oh my God. It's huge. It's huge. It's a big problem. Quote, Penza Vice Governor Oleg Melnichenko 
said in a televised comment that the group's leader, self-declared prophet Pyotr Karazatsov, was brought from a local psychiatric hospital to help persuade the, the women, mostly women in there, to come out. He said the women, who were comprised of six Russian women and one Belarusian woman, emerged voluntarily. So now we've got seven people out of mm -hmm. like the 30 that were down there, mm -hmm. carrying satchels with their belongings. Quote, they refused help and walked on their own for some 1.5 kilometers, so about a mile, to a nearby like church, prayer house. Mm -hmm. And they just went and sat there and prayed for like days and days oh, and days and days. Oh my God. Ah. Yeah. Quote, there's no reason to urgently hospitalize them, mm. these survivors, because they're fine. They're doing okay. But, All right. Yep. But now officials are starting to freak out because the snow is only going to continue to melt and more sections of the cave are at risk of collapse. And there were dozens more people down there, including the small children. And it's the most fanatical people because seven people already, they already did the split. Yep. They coaxed seven people out. Yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. The survivors are, are they're in tears. It's like. The remaining people, not survivors, I guess, are just more and more mm -hmm, devout mm -hmm. to this heavenly Jerusalem. God. So on April 1st, 2008, seven more members emerged. Also, seven is like a very prominent number in the Bible. So I wonder mm. if there was Discussion. something with mm. that. Yeah. Seven more people emerged, this time with one or two of the children. It wasn't super clear. And also, I just want to remind folks that almost all of these articles were translated from Russian. Mm -hmm. So I'm like doing my best. Mm -hmm. But there are definitely holes. And if you have more specifics, I actually do want you to email us. Super want it because <laughs> this was fascinating. So 14 members and at least two children still remained below with more sections of the cave collapsing. Oh, my God. Is there anything worse than being buried alive in a cult of dirt? Um, yeah, uh, we'll get to it. No. <laughs> Two days later, on April 3rd, Pyotr attempted to take his own life and was rushed to the hospital because he had come to the realization that his prediction of the end of the world was incorrect. He waited all Tuesday. Kind of, yeah, he waited so all Tuesday. People get so sad when the world doesn't end. Yeah, they just lay in bed for two days. Yeah, disappointment. So there's got to be a German a word for that. Yeah, there always mm -hmm. is. Someone, someone get at us. <laughs> he did attempt to take his own life. I'm not exactly sure how. I didn't. Looking really in the mirror. That God, yeah. But he had a he was rushed to the hospital with like serious head trauma. So I think he was like literally banging his head oh, like on a wall. He's in a psychiatric God. hospital, so like he probably didn't couldn't get his hands on anything else. Yup. <gasps> Fucking yikes. He was not successful in this attempt, fortunately. Oh. And he survived to receive more psychiatric treatment and continued to consult with the remaining members underground, hoping to encourage them to come out. Despite the freaky conditions of this, like, whole fucking thing, reports were consistent that those who did communicate from underground were calm, cool, and collected. Quote, a published transcript of a conversation that reportedly took place between a negotiator and an eight-year-old girl living in the cave oh. described the girl's tone as confident and happy. The conversation said, how are you feeling? That's the negotiator. And she says, amazing, the girl replied. And what did you eat for breakfast? He asked. Wheat kasha and bread with jam, she said. So, like, they're fed. She seems chill. That sounds great. If, if she's not like, being coached, then yeah, I love know, bread yeah. with jam. Who doesn't? Mm -hmm. But eventually, little by little, folks were emerging from the caves until there were only nine people left down below. A spokesperson for the negotiation team updated the public around this time, saying the remaining members were still not cooperating or indicating that they wanted to leave. 
quote, they have taken a vow of silence, said one of the like negotiators. They are all adults and have been warned about the threat to their lives from the collapsing walls. So it's like, what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. They, they're making their choice. Right. But by now, it's May of 2008. The world still has not ended as predicted. Mm. Or at least not for everyone. So I'm going to read from an article in Russia Today detailing what had gone down. Mm. Quote, the last nine inhabitants emerged Friday, May 16th, 2008, after the bodies of two women who died in the cave were allowed to be removed. Yeah, you don't want to be down there with decomposing bodies. Fuck. Yup. This is according to a, a local police officer who was part of this, like, retrieval, corpse retrieval mission. Oh, my God. The officer did not say why the group left, but Russian news agencies cited authorities as saying they left after being warned they could be poisoned by fumes from the rotting corpses. Yep, that's worse. That's, yep, you were right. Yep. It got worse. Could, so, is that true? Just, could you be poisoned by the fumes? I'm not it sure, can't be but it's good for you. It can't be good. It's Googling also just it. The bacteria. Um, This is my own little aside, but I just want to point out that the women who had died in the caves had been, quote, buried in shallowed graves, but it was really just like they kicked some dirt over them. So they were just decomposing in the caves. Oh, my God. Quote, we could smell the stench through the ventilation holes. No, Amanda. That's how bad it was. I know, girl, you're not pregnant anymore. The stench is coming out. (laughs) Okay, so there's methane. Yeah. There's oh methane. yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll do it. That which can damage the brain and the heart, but nothing. Oh. It's not inherently poisonous. No, but it's not no. good for you. Mm-mm. So this official says, as we pulled out the dead bodies, we suggested the others leave, and they fi- they agreed. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Our time. Cult members who. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's over. Cult members who left the cave earlier. So a part of those two, like seven mm-hmm. groups of seven that came out told local media that the women had died, one from cancer and one from exhaustion slash, like, starvation. She was doing a fast, Mm. like a religious fast, and she died. And the bodies had been down there rotting for upwards of six months. No! Yeah. The children were down there with the bodies. Yeah. No! Yeah. That's almost the whole time they were down there at all. No, they were down there for, like... A long fucking time. They went down there in like October of 2007 and didn't come out until May of 2008. That's not that much longer than six months. Right. Well, I guess. So they they must have died. They probably went down there. They probably started their fast and died. One lady was already dying of cancer. So she probably went earlier. And the vast majority of their time down there, they were with with dead bodies. Yeah. And they didn't die like at the same time. So I think one died and then like a month or so later, another one died. So maybe the one that they were smelling more was the more recently deceased. And the other one was a little more decomposed. I'm not sure. Didn't find photos. shit. Okay. Yeah. Russia just always takes it to the next level. Yeah. Listen. I mean, I know we're not pleased with them right now, but. Oh, no. Russia slaps. They're insane. Yeah. Yeah. So after everyone finally emerged, the cave system was blown up. It was completely destroyed by local government, mostly because, A, it's way too fucking dangerous to go down there. And, B, they didn't want, like, curious visitors, like, morbid visitors to come down and then get They don't want fucking teenagers, like, drinking and doing parkour down there. 
Exactly. So they were like, fuck this. We're, <laughs> we're, we're caving in these games. <laughs> you know, you, gut- you ever Bliss Bleed Love? Mm-hmm. Yes. And how he would Loved like. Loved a cave. Yeah. He would just like do like urban exploring. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I don't know. Acrobatics. Yeah. Parkour, parkour. So Piotr was court ordered to continue with psychological treatment and many other members of the sect received treatment as well, with most of them returning to just the regular Russian Orthodox Church and living fairly normal lives. Members of the nearby village were thrilled that the saga for the better part of a year, like, was over Mm -hmm. because not only had they feared for the safety of the people underground, but they were constantly part of this huge news story Mm. And their tiny village was always flooded with, like, journalists and camera crews, and they were fucking over it. They just wanted to get back to their normal, quiet lives. They live in this remote village for a fucking reason. I'd be out there hawking like, nesting dolls. I'd be like, who wants a snack? Oh, yes. <laughs> you would be in, be ev- you'd be in every soundbite, every news clip. Yep. We, we know exactly mm-hmm. what your role would yep. be, and it would be flawless. Mm-hmm. Many former members moved to a deaf village in Belarus, continuing some of their true Orthodox traditions. A what village? A deaf village. They could live in silence. So they oh. could continue their vows of silence. Cool. Wow. And one family stayed in the village right outside of the caves and continued to live by the tenets of rejecting media, passports, and even electricity. And as far as I know, that family's still there waiting for the end of the world. They had like two of the kids. Wow. wow. Yeah. Isn't this nuts? Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's, that's it's, my it's case. Cut his nuts off. Yeah. That is Piotr. fucking wild. Wow. Isn't it weird? Wow, wow, yeah. wow, wow, wow. I love wow, it. Wow, wow, wow. I knew you would. Cool. All right. Well, well done. Thank you. Uh, it's a great topic. Thanks, so thanks to us for choosing this topic. Mm-hmm. And Indeed. we'll talk to you next week. See you later. <gasps> Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers!